I wonder whether you've um, ever come across a verse in the Bible which you've read many, many times before, but that its implications have never really hit you. I can remember this with one such verse. It's in Matthew chapter 10, and it's verse 34, where Jesus says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. My name is Philip Lefevre, and I welcome you this morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you happen to be uh, listening. And uh, I want to pray that what we are going to think about this afternoon, morning, evening, is uh, what the Holy Spirit intends for you. And so, Father, I would ask that everybody who is listening to this message now would be quickened by your Holy Spirit just to be able to recognize that which is your word from them. And that as I speak, I too may learn new things that, that were not perceived before. So may we grow into the image of Jesus. Amen. And it's really the image of Jesus that uh, this verse made me question. I suppose that all of us were brought up in the rather Christmassy tradition of Jesus as the Prince of Peace. After all, that's what Isaiah calls him. And so I suppose that that has scriptural authority. But when the Prince of Peace makes a statement like, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, what is he talking about? Matthew chapter 10 is a passage in which Jesus is about to send his disciples out on a mission throughout Galilee to preach about the kingdom of God. And he gives them, well, quite a lot of information. He encourages them, he warns them, as in this case. He tells them how they are to respond as they go about their business. He tells them, in effect, that it's not going to be all a smooth ride, that they're going to have opposition. And they merely had to look at his own example, for Jesus himself did not have a smooth ride by any manner of means. He was being opposed by the religious authorities for healing on the Sabbath, for the things that he said, for the company that he kept. No, the Prince of Peace was not bringing peace at all. He was being bringing conflict and division. And what Jesus is saying to the disciples and consequently to us is that wherever you go, seeking to bear witness to him, speaking about Jesus as Saviour, as Lord, there is going to be conflict 
and division. And it's been true from the earliest days <clears throat> of, the, of the Christian faith. I remember as a, a primary school student learning about these Christians who were thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. But one of the things which puzzled me was that all the best emperors, best in the terms of administration and governance, people like Trajan and Hadrian and Marcus Aurelius, all these really good guys were the worst persecutors. They really had it in for Christians and for good reason. And the, their, one of their jobs was to hold the Roman Empire together. And the kind of creedal statement which went with that is the emperor is Lord. And all had to acknowledge that fact. But these emperors began to notice that there was another group of people within the empire who were saying something slightly different. They were saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus Corios. And that was a divisive statement. It meant that there was somebody else out there who was claiming authoritative power, and that they could not tolerate. That was divisive for the empire. And so they took steps to try to silence the Christian voice. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And history reflects this all the way down. When the emperors did become Christian, Constantine, it was no different. Because the whole culture, as it were, appeared to be converted. But it wasn't. The uh, preachers of the day were only permitted to preach what the emperor gave them permission to preach. And people like John Chrysostom, who was one of the early saints, ended his life somewhere in the mountains in exile because he chose not to preach exactly what the emperor wanted him to preach. And it's been like that right the way down the ages. And in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus about the kingdom of God, there have always been a constraint on their preaching by people for whom the message is dangerous. And so it is in our own age as well. I think most of us are becoming more and more conscious of the fact that our culture is becoming more secular, more questioning of spiritual realities, and particularly of the Christian faith. So that in countries which have been traditionally Christian for centuries, there is now legislation which makes it more and more difficult for effective Christian ministry to take place. Recently, in the United Kingdom itself, people have been forbidden in legislation to assist persons with a cross-sexual orientation from being helped or counseled in any way. 
And when the Christian church seeks to protest as it is doing at this, they seem to be outdated. There is opposition. This is not the voice of the modern world. Wherever the gospel is preached, there is going to be opposition. There was, there is, and there always will be. In uh, this context, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus goes on, I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household, of his own family. The opposition will be close in. And in making this statement, Jesus is actually quoting. He's quoting from the prophet Micah. It's uh, chapter 7 and verse 6 to be precise. But what is Micah chapter 7 about? It's about a society falling to pieces. Now you may feel as having watched television over the last few days and seen the burning of malls and the looting of shops that we're living very close to a society that is falling to pieces. But one of the characteristics of the society is that people who are close in, people of their own household, are set against each other in opinions and very often in action. And Jesus is saying this is what is going to happen because the Christian faith talks about a kingdom which questions every other kingdom. A state which questions every other state. And this causes conflict. This causes mouths to be burnt and shops to be looted. It is a dissolution of society. And so Jesus goes on. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Think that through, parents. Think about your own children. Anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In the midst of this chaos, the dissolution of society, the division and conflict which Jesus brings, what should be our priority? Our priority should be our relationship with God in Jesus. It's not mother or father first. It's not children first. It's not even me first. I am required to take up my cross and follow. And what the church does when it finds itself in this kind of conflict is to begin to, to focus on God in Jesus. 
we're hearing it again and again from Christians when they see the mess that is being made in KwaZulu-Natal or Gauteng. But God is still in control. Yes, he is. He is still in control. But let's remember who God is. Who is it that Jesus has revealed to us? The religious authorities in Jesus' day who opposed him knew all about God. They knew him to be a frightening God. They remembered the story of how the people of Israel stood at the bottom of Mount Sinai when God came down upon it to give Moses the Ten Commandments and the whole earth trembled and they were afraid. They were very, very afraid. The holiness of God is a frightening thing. There are those that think that holiness is effete, well, that holiness is to be mocked at. When Isaiah saw holiness, he fell flat on his face and he cried out because of his sinfulness. He cried out in agony, in fear and trembling. They knew about that God. But there's some people who seem to think that somewhere between the Old Testament and the New Testament, God was converted and God's now all full of love and compassion and really rather like a, a toothless bulldog. Um, no, no. He's the same God. The God whom we worship is the same God as that God that made the ground quiver at Sinai and frightened an entire nation. But Jesus creates something different. Jesus becomes one of us. He comes from the Godhead. He becomes one of us. He's like me. He's like any of you. He's going through human experiences. He's living a human life. And at the end of the human life, it is mortality. And he knew he had to die. And he knew what dying meant, the agony and the pain of it. And so he died in your place and in mine, taking upon himself that sinfulness and imperfection and weakness which would bring upon us the wrath of an angry God. And when we look up in fear at that God who is to be our judge, we see the smiling face of a father. Focus on the father. He is a father. He loves you. He is very conscious of the place where you are right at this moment. Within yourself, in your emotions, in your ambitions. He knows the sinfulness for which Jesus died. He knows the weaknesses that he wants to change. And because he does want to change, God comes to us in the form of the Holy Spirit, not just to be with us, though that he is, but to be in us. And if I'm talking to, to anybody who has never had this experience of God, who've never discovered the love of God which reaches out to you, and in the crucified Jesus, 
seeks to forgive you and to take you to himself and to call you his son, his daughter, then I ask you, please, that you would do that this evening, this morning, wherever you're at, whatever your circumstances, to bring yourself to receive Jesus into your heart and into your life as the one who is saving you and wants to transform you. Yes, he does. And so in the midst of the conflict and the division, in the midst of our seeking to bear witness to a loving Father, to the forgiveness he offers and the kingdom that he's trying to set up, we're called upon to focus upon him and to set our eyes upon him, to take time to, to listen to him through his word, to take time to be with his people, to take time to kneel before him in prayer, to take time to allow the revelation of himself so to fill us that we know a new joy and a new praise and the warning of conflict. Because that there will be to receive Jesus as the Lord and Saviour of my life is not to sail upon a pink sea into a lovely sunset. He did not come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword, but with it, victory. It's not the sword of a defeated idea. It's the sword of a lovingly conquering God. Set him up, his kingdom of righteousness and peace and grace. If we are receiving Jesus, it has implications. Not only of, uh, of conflict and difficulty, but also of our relationship with other people. It has implications for my relationships with you and you with those around you. Because those of us who are in Jesus are called the church. And the church, for some people, is a kind of dusty building on the corner where nothing very exciting happens. Um, it's full of really rather dull people. My goodness, what nonsense. The church is full of vitally interesting people people who are looking out at a world and asking God what they want them to do, who are ready to give themselves, who are ready to get involved in these conflicts and in this difficulty. Many people say to me, well, I don't go to church because, well, I tried and it doesn't, you know, I don't get anything out of it. You're not meant to get anything out of it. You will, actually. But you're not meant to get anything out of it. You're meant to be sharing and, and reaching into it. You're meant to be giving. Giving of yourself. Giving of your gifts, your abilities. 
giving of your money, yes. Giving. Our calling is to touch others with the life of Jesus and to find that they touch us. And it's, it's such a fulfilling experience. I don't know what the church has ever done to, to be regarded as dull and boring. That is the greatest sin possibly we could ever imagine. To make the loving Father, to make the saving Christ boring. Perhaps we need to get involved a bit more closely with one another. Listen to what Jesus says. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. Anyone who receives a righteous man, because he is a righteous man, will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. One of these little ones, I don't know, Christian art has presented one of these little ones as, as children always. Yes, it does include children. But these children with kind of blonde curly hair and big blue eyes, and these are the little ones. No, most children actually don't have curly blonde hair and blue eyes. Most children are dirty. Most children are starving. Most children are lonely. Most children are in a bad place. But that's not what these little ones mean. These little ones are people who are unimportant. They're, they're insignificant. You know, the world wouldn't be different if they were here or if they weren't. Well, that's a lie anyway. They're people that others just don't notice. But God does. And to give a cup of cold water is just an insignificant action. Nobody notices that either, but God does. I tell you the truth. If anybody just gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, he will find in no ways lose his reward. That's what the implications of the calling of Jesus are all about. There's going to be confusion. There's going to be division. There's going to be conflict. People are going to get hurt. They are. Mainly the Christians. But there are people who in the midst of this are keeping their eyes on the king. No, not the emperor, the king. The king upon his heavenly throne, who moves amongst us by his spirit and lives in us. The Lord is here. His spirit is with us. And as they focus on Jesus, as they seek to live in obedience to the King and in the power of the Holy Spirit, 
situations are touched with beauty. Broken lives are put together. Sinners are forgiven. Saints are changed from glory to glory with great joy in the midst of conflict. And little ones are given cups of cold water. Liberty, this is our calling. This is what we're all about. And I want to say that because in the midst of this pandemic, when we haven't been able to meet and accept across a screen, it's, it's almost as though we, we lose touch with each other. We grow apart and the vision fades. No, don't let the vision fade, please. In the middle of all this confusion, please focus on the one whom the Father sent to make you his child, whom the Father sent to forgive you his sins, whom the Father sent to pour upon you the Spirit that you may give cups of cold water to little ones. And be caught up in it. And know the excitement of it, know the joy of it, know that you'll run into trouble. Yes, you will, but know too the presence of others around you. We need, you know, to learn to suffer well. There's a passage which just came to me today. It's in Acts chapter 5, where uh, the apostles are preaching Jesus in Jerusalem, contrary to instructions. And so they're brought to trial. And we read that they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. That's it, the suffering, the division, the conflict. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And what happened? Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. And the church grew. That's to suffer well. Oh, it's suffering. It's not fun being flogged. It wasn't fun then. It isn't fun now. But they rejoiced because they'd been counted worthy to suffer for the name that was so precious to them the name of Jesus. We need to learn to suffer well. Parents, we need to teach our children to suffer well because suffer they will. Suffering is part of our life. Suffering comes in many forms. Yes, being flogged, the physical suffering, but there can be emotional suffering. There can be mental suffering, the suffering of grief, which some are suffering now.
But what do you do with it when it comes? They came out rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. In all our sufferings, the Lord never withdraws himself. Nothing is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. And it's to that that we respond. So that suffering is not a ground for negativity and complaint, but a ground for the sense of the hand of the living God upon us, shaping us, forming us. And that suffering becomes a witness to him. Whoever, says Jesus, acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. I don't want to be disowned by Jesus. It's all about acknowledging and disowning. And I certainly do not want to be disowned by Jesus. I want to acknowledge him. In the midst of the chaos around us, I want to acknowledge him. I need to be focused on him in order to do that. And then I need to be aware of the world around me, of my fellow Christians and their prayers, their support, their encouragement, and of a world of enormous need. And I need to be caught up by God in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the excitement, the sheer excitement of getting out there and being used by him and seeing situations change as God the Father, in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, begins to turn the kingdoms of this world into the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. We're doing this together, you know. Jesus sees us as a body, his body, working in his world. And it's a very lovely thing. It is, Father. It is a lovely thing. It's a thing in which it is you who are using us to bring change, to empower people, to minister in situations of confusion and pain, and to bring glory to your name. Please grant us the grace to acknowledge you on all occasions, to be a people that acknowledges you. Keep us from floating in situations aimlessly. May we follow where you lead. Where there are crosses, may we take up that cross. But knowing that in terms of our risen Lord, there is victory and there is a kingdom and that it will be achieved. Amen. <laughs>